sometimes I think we can, um, we can be singing those songs and we think, yeah, that's a good tune and yeah, that's a cool one. And it comes on and you're like, yeah, I really like this one. And it's going, and then you kind of stop and you reflect on some of those words and you're like, oh boy, what if God did that? Like, what if God actually, you know? And what if we were actually willing to just open up everything in our world and go, God, man, blank canvas. Do whatever you want to do. Like, does anyone else like, find that prayer a little, a little bit nerve-wracking? Yeah, yeah? not just me. Cool, you guys have got it all together. Awesome, you guys have got this. Um, yeah, I think it's good to, to stop and pause, but I think we also want to be a church that prays courageous prayers, eh? Because we want everything that's in God's heart. And if God is saying, I am in this and for this, and I want our hearts to be like, yeah, we are all in for this as well, eh? So, um, yeah, well, anyway, that's, um, that's the intro. <laughs> hey, if you are um, new or visiting, um, my name's Julia. I'm the campus pastor out here at our Selwyn campus. And um, I just want to do like a shout out to, um, to Jeremy, who is on keys. Over here, where's he gone? I just, I like, I just love that this this man totally dispels the myth that boys can't multitask. Like, you're right. Like this guy, he's flipping awesome. He was playing keys, plus running the tracks, emptying through one mic and singing through the other. Like, I just think what a champion. Like, <laughs> don't you guys ever say that boys can't multitask? Like the guys in this church are awesome. It's so good. Hey, um, so welcome, welcome. Hope you guys have, have had a good week. Everyone made it through? Everyone cope with not having a public holiday in this one? Yeah, the reality of like a five-day working week? Oh. Um, so I was, I was thinking and, and reflecting on, on what I wanted to share this morning. I was just thinking a little bit on what um, Joe was sharing last week. And we've had all the girls, right? Like all the girls at the moment um, out here. And we'll get some, some of the boys will be back out at some point. Eh? <laughs> um, but just thinking what, you know, Jill was sharing on last week and actually, what does it mean for love to be our motivation? And, um, and in my study times, I've been working through the, the book of Galatians and have been kind of camped in there for probably about the last month, actually, and just wanting to learn more about it and exploring it and going, man, God, what were, you, what were you speaking in that time and place? What was it that you were trying to teach your people and showing them? And I don't know if you've read the book of um, Galatians recently, but I was written to the church in Galatia, funnily enough, right, which is today modern-day Turkey. Does anyone else think that's pretty cool? Like, you know, when you actually, like, go through and see where these places are, and you're like, oh, man, like, what was God doing in those nations and knowing there's, you know, deep spiritual heritage within those places? And, um, and so as the church in Galatia was kind of from Paul's early, you know, missionary trips where he was starting to share the gospel. And this was in a time where... There were many non-Jewish believers who were coming to faith, and the gospel was starting to spread. What had happened in Jerusalem was now spreading out towards the nations. And there were these people coming to faith and hearing this good news. And this part just blows my mind. They were hearing the same good news that we hear about Jesus now, right? And it had the power to radically change their worlds, just as it has the power to continue to radically change ours now, right? And so they were hearing this gospel, and they were, they were coming to faith, and they were learning, man, what does church look like? And how does, how does what we've learned about this God and, and this Jesus and what he represented and the significance of the life that he lived and what he did on this cross and when he was resurrected from the dead? Like, dude, what did all this mean? What did this mean about this God and this, this kind of relationship that he wants to have with us? And the worlds were just being blown because it was turning 
everything upside down, right? It messes with our value system. It messes with every part of our lives. When, our, when we have had a, a, a radical revelation of who Jesus is and the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us, it messes with every part of our world, right? Or it should. If we've just put God in a box and I think we're limiting him. But so they, they were going through this journey in this, this early church in Turkey and going, man, what does all this stuff look like? And they'd, Paul would come and they'd heard about God and they were trying to outwork this stuff within community and outwork with their faith and, and outwork trying to grow. And there were different people that were coming around and, and also at the same time, so as you've got these You've got, you know, Jewish believers, they've got this incredible heritage of, of God, you know, God working and moving in amongst their people group. And then you've got these Jewish believers that have come to faith and now their world has been radically changed as they understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Messiah that they've been waiting for, right? And then you have these Gentiles, which, you know, you know most of us, right, these, these non-Jewish believers that have heard about this Jesus and their worlds have been radically transformed. And, and these guys are trying to make, life work in amongst it, right? And what had happened at the time is that these these um, ones that have come from a Jewish heritage, they'd spent this legacy of, you know, all this stuff that you had to, to outwork to be in relationship with God. So all of the kind of rules and regulations around the Sabbath and around, you know, the kosher food and, and around circumcision and all these sorts of things. And they were bringing this into this world of these um, these new Gentile believers and saying, hey, you guys need to um, adhere to this stuff in order to, to, to kind of carry on this heritage of relationship with God. And, and they got so caught up in all of these things that they were starting to lose and starting to miss what Jesus had actually done in amongst them, right? And they were allowing all of these other things to come in and start speaking into their culture as a church and speaking into their faith and, and putting these pressures and expectations and stuff on people that, that you know, God had, God had lifted off them. And so Paul starts to write into this context. And we have to remember that a lot of these letters, a lot of the books within the Bible were letters. They were responses you know, to or from things, that there were conversations that had been had within the people that um, you know, they would refer to and, and different people who had traveled. And it's just always good to remember that stuff when we're actually reading through these books. And it's into this context that Paul starts to speak. And he's going... Guys, let's bring it back. Let's take and let's stop. Let's have a moment. Let's pause and reflect. Because we're a couple of years in now and, and stuff is starting to shift and change. And take some moments and go, man, what actually is the important stuff? In a world where your whole world has been turned upside down, where all your values have been shifting and changing and been navigating these differences in relationships, like let's stop and take a moment. And go, actually, what is the important stuff that Jesus was doing in amongst it all? I think that's pretty like good advice, right? To stop and pause and reflect and go, man, what are some of the stuff that's come in that, that we've taken on? And go, what actually are the important things again in the midst of this? Because in amongst it... Even Peter, the disciple, so in the book, he's now, I mean, as if like all the name changing and stuff isn't confusing enough to follow at times, right? He then gets a Greek name, so he's now referred to as Cephas. 
And they say that even Peter has come in, even Cephas has come in, and he was a call on his life to be speaking to the Jewish believers, right? Uh, to the Jews and, and teach them about the things of God. But he'd now come and was hanging out with these Gentiles. And then this group of Jewish believers had come in and started putting these expectations and stuff. He'd even got intimidated and freaked out by poor Peter. He just, just when he starts to get it right out, you know. And, um, and even he's kind of got sucked into it where he's like, he's got intimidated. Gone, man, maybe even I need to do this stuff. And so he'd actually stopped hanging out with the very people that God had called him to, the people that he was being called to reach and share what God had done in his world with, to share this gospel message of good news of Jesus. And so he had been, and even Barnabas had then got sucked into it as well. And this is the context that Paul's speaking into. And because it doesn't matter how long we've been in this game, what part of our journey we're in, right, where we're at with God, sometimes things can come in and without even realizing, we find that we're over here and we're not here, right? Has anyone... um, you know, been out by the, you know, the northern motorway as you're heading out from the airport, you know, throughout to, well, you don't go through Belfast anymore, you know, heading out towards Kaiapua, you know, heading out north. Anyone kind of driven it recently? Yeah. So, you know, like, you know, like they're doing the, all the roadworks and stuff out here. They were doing a whole bunch, I think probably about a year and a half ago, right? And uh, is anyone else like a thinking driver? Like when you need to think, you go for a drive? Anyone else? Yeah? No? Not you guys? Okay. <laughs> we have some non-thinking drivers in here. We will pray for you later. <laughs> Point of frustration for many others, but no. No, no. I mean, like, when you need to actually, like, kind of think and process some stuff, you go for a bit of a drive. Like, that that's me. And so sometimes if I've, like, had a... It's probably a little bit weird, but um, sometimes if I've had, like, a big day, if there's something big going on, sometimes I'll just kind of, like, take the long way home just so I sort of have time to sort of think and process and pray through some of that stuff, right? And um, I was doing this this one night and and what I hadn't realized because they'd been doing the, the new motorway and they've been working through this and where you could previously you know jump on it out by the airport and you head through and go up to Belfast right what happened was I jumped on it it was later at night there were no signs that they'd opened the new motorway and suddenly there is no detour to um, out to the lane that I would normally be in, that would normally go to Belfast, is gone. And all of a sudden, my thinking time is taking me all the way out to Kaiapoi. <laughs> right? But honestly, it just, I hadn't even realized because the road had opened and they'd done such a great job that you just kind of hop on and you keep going. And it was like, as I was going past, you know, the groins and the dog pack and stuff, I was like, hold up. <laughs> and you realize there's no turn off. And I think sometimes life can happen like that, eh? Sometimes we get in the busyness of our everyday, you know, study and work and jobs and families and, you know, week to week. And did anyone else have a freak out on Wednesday when suddenly it was May? Yeah, man, you guys have your life so much more together than me. Like, I had this moment where I was like, holy moly, when did this happen? But doesn't life just happen so quickly sometimes? We get into a routine and we go, man, actually, what's important? And what does it mean to actually stop and come back and go, what are the things that are important to us about Jesus? What are the things that are important to us about our relationship with God? 
what are the things that are important about the people that we're hanging out with? The people around us that don't know the good news that God has entrusted to us to share with them. And that's exactly what had happened for these guys, that some stuff had come in and they kind of got on this road and they'd ended up over here and going, actually, this whole book, this whole letter is a calling back to go, what is the stuff that's actually important in our world? See, for these guys, they were leaders, they were competent, they, no one was disputing that they loved God or that they loved Jesus. But in the mixture of the fusion of cultures, of their worlds getting busy, of the old and the new, of law and of grace, and the pressure of expectation, the measurements that they were using had skewed their perspectives and their relationships. And there are so many times when this happens and we just kind of get caught up in the role of it. Um, I was reading this week that actually, you know, Chris, Christopher Columbus, you know, the great explorer? All right. Um, so he was, you know, off on his big adventure and stuff, right? But turns out actually the maps that he was using, what he hadn't realized when he was applying his Italian measurements to it that actually the documents and the maps that he had used, the measurements were in Arabic. And so the poor guy had gone on this big adventure, and if we chuck up the map, like, you can see, God bless him, when he he found, um, you know, he's traveling through, uh, you know, part of North America, South America, and he's discovering all these parts, and, you know, who thinks this would be a pretty decent holiday? Like, who'd be keen to go to these places, Right. But because he hadn't recognized that his measurements were in Italian, so he thought that the distance from the Canary Islands to Japan was 3,000 Italian miles. What he didn't realize is that it was actually the Arabic measurements. And it was, hang on, 12,200 miles, 19,200 kilometers. 19,600 kilometers, right? He thought it was 3,700 kilometers. So in his travels, he did a great job of making it from Spain to South America, but the poor guy thought he'd arrived in China. <laughs> like legitimately, he went back and he didn't realize because actually his measurements were skewed. He'd gone on you know, all these voyages and these trips, not realizing that the measurements were wrong. And that he hadn't actually made it to China, he'd only made it to South America. See, we can end up measuring and losing sight when we measure by the wrong things as well. When we don't stop and check and take stock of the things that are happening in our world and actually coming back to the things that Jesus said are important and the measures that he has given us in people's lives. See, Paul, we know that Paul loves using illustrations of running races and all those kinds of things, right? And um, it just reminded me of a time, a very long time ago, when I actually went for a run. And I was living over in Canada for a little bit, and I'd finished a, a little bit earlier. And um, so I decided to go for a run this afternoon, and I was living by a, a big lake, and there are these beautiful, you know, um, tracks through the woods and stuff, and um, so I chucked my headphones in and started running and was like, you know, having a good time. But then um, 
in the afternoons in Canada, I don't know, does anyone know there's, um, they have black fly season? And they're kind of like sandflies, but they're bigger. So kind of like between sandfly and a blowfly. But they just like swarm around you to the extent that Canadians wear bug jackets. Like I thought these things were a joke until they actually cranked them out. And I was like, are you for real? Like this is actually a thing. Like it's netting, covers all your hands and then goes up over your face and you like zip it over your face. And this is what they wear in the afternoons. And I was like, you guys are, you know, taking the mickey, right? And they're like, no, no, legit. And then I would start going for walks in the afternoon, and no joke, these things, like, they just swarm around your head, and all you can see is these black flies. My friend took his um, very affectionate name for them was the spawn of Satan. That's how much he hated them. And, like, they honestly, it's just a totally different experience until these things start. You're just like, oh, my goodness, like, what is going on? And I was going for this run, and um, then it, it was starting to get to the time where the black flies were starting to come out, and I was like, okay, I need to really kind of boost and get home. And so I cranked my music up and was really just going for it, right? And, um, and then all of a sudden, this thing came like bounding out and across the track from me. And I was like, it gave me a fright. And so I kind of went off the track and was like, what is it? And then I stopped and looked, and it was a frog. And I was like, okay, relatively harmless, was like, you know, having a wee look at it and going, oh, this, you know, this is kind of cool, like, and then all of a sudden, I kid you not, my worst nightmare came running out of the forest. Now, do not judge me, because everybody has something, right, but I'm not the biggest fan of birds, particularly ducks and chickens. I'm a whole lot better as an adult, but as a child, like, definitely had a significant fear of them, like, I don't know, just like beaks and claws and the thing, like, not keen, right? Can handle them now as an adult. If, like, a cat or something brings in, like, a half-dead bird, like, Addie, see you later, that is someone else's problem. But for the most part, but, so I had this, this kind of fear of, you know, like, ducks and chickens and, you know, whatnot. And, and that's okay until I look up. And what I can only describe is the cross between a duck and a chicken, a bird I did not know existed until that point. And you realize in New Zealand that we really are quite safe, like, there's really nothing that can harm or can kill us, and um, when I've been over with some of our teams in Thailand, like, I would just walk through long grass, and they would have to stop and yell at me, snakes, and I'd just freeze, because they're like, you look at them, and they go, yeah, the Kiwis are going to be the first to die, like, (laughs) because no, like, okay, anyone from any other nations, right, you know, you don't walk through long grass, because there's dangerous things in there, Kiwis, do we think about that? No, like we just wander through, like it's lucky that we're still alive, right? But, um, but you know, there's all these things going on, and so we just don't even think about it. And so suddenly there's this animal that I've got no clue what it is. I have never seen it before in my life. I have no idea what its like superpowers are. And it is running at me, and this thing is ticked, right? And I'm just... In the end, it is standing in the middle of the track, like squawking at me, this horrific squawk. And every time I move, it starts running at me. And I am standing in the forest just freaking out, going, firstly, I did not know you exist. I don't know what to do. And there is no one that knows I am here, and I have no way of getting out of this. And, and just going, it's ridiculous. But there's these moments when you're like... <laughs> So what did I do? In all my bravery, I picked up a stick, 
But then I was too scared that I was going to hit it because I realized that it was spring and it was probably a mum and it had little babies somewhere. And in my mind, even though this thing was not cute, it probably had very cute little babies. And so I didn't want to hit or hurt it because then I was killing its mum. And then these babies were going to be abandoned and they were going to die and it was going to be my fault. (laughs) And so I didn't want to hit it. I just wanted to scare it away, but it wasn't moving and I was too scared. So I started running for a good probably like 200 meters down, waving a stick behind me like this, trying to run away from this stupid thing. And I got back, and I was hanging out with my um, flatmates and roommates and stuff, and they were Canadians, and I was trying to describe it to them, and they're like, what was it? I'm like, it was a duck chicken bird. And they're like, we don't have those. I'm like, you do. And they are not happy. <laughs> and, you know, and so we ended up going through, like, you know, books, and they were Googling, and they were like, Turns out it was like some sort of grass or something, but it was quite scary at the time. We didn't know they exist, but it's so quickly. And how often does this happen in life? That something comes across our path and it cuts us off, and we suddenly end up somewhere where we didn't think we were going to be. And that's what Paul's talking about. And in chapter five, verse seven. He brings a bit of a culmination as he says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you? And how often does this happen in our lives, in our spiritual worlds, in our relationships with God as we start to journey through faith, as we start to ask questions, that something happens and it can only be described as cutting in on us. And at the times we don't even realize that it's happening, we don't, and until later on, actually the impact of what those things and those moments have on us. And as I was praying and as I was preparing, I really just felt like actually for some of us in the room this morning, that would be God's question to us. Just like Paul was asking that church in Galatia, God's question to us would be, Who cut in on you? You were running such a good race. What cut in on you? What happened in your world world, that hindered you or set you to the side or disappointed you or sat you down from the race that God had called you to? Was it a disappointment? Was it an unanswered prayer? Is it a circumstance that happened in your world? Was it something that happened to you? Was it something someone spoke over you? Was it something you thought about yourself? There are so many different things that it could be. But let's be honest, there are all... We all get to points where actually this stuff that just happens in the reality of our worlds. We're running a good race. What cut in? I just think this morning, what does it mean for us to stop and to take a few moments? And just like we were singing during that song, and you're knowing this was coming, I was like, man, actually the power in those words this morning, to go, Lord, I open up again. To be willing to trust God 
with those things that came across our path, that disappointed or hindered or put an expectation on us that God never put on there. And what does it mean for us to step back into those spaces? What does it mean for us to step back onto that track? What does it mean to kind of come back from that diversion and to pull back to those things that God had originally called us to, had originally spoken into our world? The things that originally caused us to fall in love and follow Jesus in this first place? Was it the actions of other Christians? Was it the example of others that kind of hindered or stopped you in your journey to find out more about him, to pursue him? I don't know what it is for everybody. That part's kind of between you and God and the Holy Spirit, right? But I think this morning there's some kind of an unsettling, a a sifting, a stirring as God's bringing some to the surface because I feel like actually there's, there's a grace for good God wants to go, actually, I don't want you to carry this stuff anymore. He's like, but actually, as a church, as, as believers, as a family, let's get back on track. Let's go, man, what does it look like to be running, to pursuing, to be chasing after those things that God's put on our hearts? But how do we do that? What does that actually look like? And just like it was the same for the early church in Galatia, Paul pulls them back and he says, it's by his spirit. See, the significance of the fact that the tomb was empty was that Jesus was resurrected, that God was alive and well, that everything that God had said that this Jesus was was true. Everything that his heart, that he had spoken about, about the kingdom and his heart for people was all true. And now that same spirit, the resurrected Christ from the dead, is what lives within us. We see that when it came upon the early church as it equipped the people to love and to do what God had called them to do. And we can't work this stuff out in our own strength, right? It gets hard. It's like you're walking through mud and it gets sticky and it gets messy and we kind of get stuck in those places. And even as we sung, Lord, do what only you can do. We all have areas and things in our lives that only the Spirit of God can touch and bring to life and heal and speak and bring stuff out of us that we didn't even know was there, but because he created us and by his Spirit in us, he can bring those things forth, right? And so what does it mean to not measure by you know, all, those, all of those other things, those behavioral expectations, but actually to come back to his spirit, to know the love of Jesus, to know the love of this Father in our lives and have that so radically transform us. As Paul says, like the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, all those things will be the measure in our lives. And that year upon year, we will continue to grow in those things, that we will be more loving this time next year than we are now. And right now we're more loving than we were last year because of what God has done within our lives. And then out of the overflow of that, we will be able to love people well. We'll be able to live lives that are running the race that God has called us to, right? Isn't that what we all want? 
guys have all gone real quiet. It's okay, team. Like, we've got this. It's going to get better. Like, it's okay. But I think it's important for us to stop and take these moments. And amongst the busyness of our worlds, all the things people have said to us, all the things we've learned about God, and actually go, man, what is the truth in amongst this? What are the basics? What is really at the heart of our relationship with God? What does this stuff mean? Because Paul then says, Then I, his spirit, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. God doesn't want us to be burdened down by these things, of words that were spoken over us, over the circumstances that have happened to us, over the decisions that we have made that haven't been the greatest decisions that we wouldn't want to make again, but sometimes we still do. God wants us to know a freedom from those things. And he said, but not a freedom to use to indulge the flesh, but rather to serve one another humbly in love. That something of his heart and his character would be developed and would come forth in our lives, right? Who wants that? Who wants to be more like Jesus? Because the way he loved people was incredible. And go, man, I can't do that in my own strength. But actually by his spirit and by allowing him to deal with the tough stuff, the tricky stuff, the messy stuff, a deal with some of that, that wrong thinking, a deal with some of the stuff that I kind of picked up and absorbed along the way, then that gives room for his spirit to be able to work and move in our lives. And in a moment, and even if the team comes back, we're going to sing a song, Oh, Come to the Altar. And I think that's the key, that's part of the important part is that we're always coming back to the altar. We're always coming back to the cross. We're never too proud to get ourselves back on the altar and go, man, God, do what you can do. Deal with the stuff that I've picked up. Help to heal the wounds that I'm carrying, the, the misguided thinking, you know, the lies, even just the stuff that was right in one season, that was truth in one season that actually isn't anymore. What does it mean to shed some of that stuff, to grow through and to mature through some of those things as well? Um, last year, there was, I felt the Holy Spirit, you know, during a time of worship, just say, actually, you need to deal with, with some pride and actually just to, to be on my face before Jesus during worship. And I was like, no deal. <laughs> Have you seen how many people? You know, this was at our Levita campus. And I was like, uh-uh. Like, and it's funny because people see what I do here and I you know, don't realize that I'm actually quite shy by nature at times. And I was like, uh-uh. <laughs> Not happening. And for months, like, I fought it. And God's like, are you willing to actually be on your face before me? And I was like, mm-mm. I am not. <laughs> and then we had... um. A conference actually and one of the guys that actually shared and just ministered in such an incredible way and I saw him before he was preparing and he was just during worship he was just on his face before God and I just felt the Holy Spirit like prompt me again and go are you willing to do that and I was like nope and then it was a couple of weeks after that actually one of the um 
one of the ladies in our church, um, she'd felt a, felt a word and um, she came and she brought it to the leadership team and just, I think it was at a prayer meeting or something and um, it was just, she talked about the different postures of worship and what it actually meant to get before God. And um, she wasn't encouraging everyone to get on their face, like, but that was one of the ones that she talked about, actually, to have a few, come with a humility before God. And at that point, I was like, okay. And so sure enough, I was doing some FaceTime carpet time. And in that moment, oh my gosh, initially when I got there, I was like, oh, what an idiot. <laughs> like, at least I can't see anyone. But in those moments, man, God did something. And I sobbed and I sobbed into that carpet. But there was some correcting. There was a pulling back on track. There was some stuff that had stuck that I picked up along the way that God just kind of had to deal with. And I'm not saying everyone needs to do some carpet time here because let's, well, there's a pretty small piece of carpet. Good luck to you if you feel like that's what you need to do. But... What I'm saying is going, actually, let's not let our pride get in the way of allowing God to bring correction, of bringing redirection, of dealing with some of the stuff where he turns and I can almost hear it just so gently saying, who cut in on you? You were running such a good race. What happened? He knows what's happened, right? And he's saying there's a way through it. But what does it actually mean for us to surrender that stuff again to Him? To come before Him and to actually take some time and go, what are the really important things? What is it about Jesus? What is it about the Father? What does it mean to revisit those dreams that He once spoke to you? That something happened and you shelved it? That person that you were praying and believing for? that breakthrough, that miracle, what happened that made you put it on the shelf and go, I'm not going to go there again. What does it mean to bring that stuff back to Jesus? Because church, those are the places where God wants to heal us. God wants to bring his resurrection power. He wants to speak truth to the lies that have been spoken over you. He wants you to know his love. This wasn't in the notes. But I feel like actually some of you, your value has been determined by other people. And you've allowed other people's words to speak over you. And you've carried those. And I just feel the heart of God this morning saying, actually stuff's not truth let me show you what the truth is let me show you what I truly believe about you let me define what the truth is in your life what your future is going to be what you can pray for what you can believe for the things that you're going to praise God for now would you stand with me If there's stuff this morning that you'd love someone to stand with you and pray beside you with, and you know, encourage you to come down. We've got some team and stuff available. But you know, even just where you are now, you, you don't necessarily have to move. God's in this place. The Holy Spirit's working and moving.
But what does it mean to take a couple of moments and go, God, ask him that question and reflect on it and go, who cut in on you? What cut in on you? What does it mean to surrender that stuff to God in order to run again and step into all that he has? Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we truly do trust in your goodness. Father, the circumstances around us might not always make us feel like that, but Lord, we know the truth that you are good. Lord, that there is, there is nothing in you, Father, that isn't good. And Father, that we can trust you with our hearts and our lives that it's scary to hand these things over to you and to say, Lord, search us. Search the things that are in our hearts because, Father, we don't know what it is you're going to find. We don't know what it is you're going to do when you find it. But, God, we trust that anything you bring to the surface, Lord, you are doing for our benefit. And, Lord, we know that your Holy Spirit is here. The great counselor, the prince of peace, speak peace into situations that are fearful. Lord, you are the King of kings. You have all authority over lies that have been spoken over us. And just during this time, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you'll minister. That, Lord, you'll be bringing things to mind that have stuck, that have diverted our course, that have cut in on us. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you'll give us ears right now. truth. Father, we pray that you will speak so loud that we cannot miss it. Lord, continue to reveal the things that are actually important. Help us to keep Jesus at the center of it all, Lord. Father, we ask these things, Lord, by your mighty power. Lord, supernaturally, we just move in this place in the name of Jesus.